0: Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Word of God, for our meditation this morning is our second lesson today, found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1-11. through It's printed in your bulletin and already read. Dear friends in Christ, when I read our lesson from 1 Corinthians earlier, or if you just take another look at it right now, You probably noticed one word that stands out because it is repeated multiple times. Spirit. The Apostle Paul clearly wants the people in the church at Corinth and all Christians to know and understand, to be informed about the Holy Spirit. And since the Spirit inspired this, we'd have to conclude that he wants that too. But there is a particular challenge in teaching about the Holy Spirit. The third person of the Trinity does not make his presence known through awesome acts like creating the world, raising up mountains, crashing waves, powerful storms, and thunderous voices from heaven the way God the Father does. Nor does the Spirit present himself in flesh and blood as the Son of God did living and breathing, teaching and healing, suffering and dying. And things are complicated further by the fact that the Spirit is really not interested in self-promotion. He wants to draw people to Christ and focus them on Him through faith. He is happy to be the -the behind-the-scenes guy of the Holy Trinity even though He is just as essentially God and just as essential to our salvation as the Father and the Son. So how does the Holy Spirit show Himself to the world and particularly to believers who who wish to know Him better? Answering that question is Paul's purpose here, and ours too. And the Apostle could have just begun a lecture, laying out all the doctrine of the Spirit and how He fits within the Trinity, saying this is what He is like and this is what He is not like and and these are the things that you need to know, going from point A to point Z through points B through Y. But that is not how most people get to know another person. And the Holy Spirit is a person. Instead, the way to find out what a person is like is to to watch and see that person doing the things that he does and to have a personal experience of those things. And that is what Paul points us to here. But again, the Holy Spirit is spirit. He's not a flesh and blood person person. So how can we observe and get to know him? Maybe it will help to approach this in a different way. Most of us are probably familiar with Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. You might not be so familiar with the subtitle he gave it, A Ghost Story of Christmas. There is nothing particularly religious about A Christmas Carol, but it is almost as though there were some kind of higher power guiding everything that happens with Ebenezer Scrooge, because there most definitely is a purpose to it all. Scrooge, a a skeptic who thinks he knows everything worth knowing, needs to see his life and world from a different perspective in order to make some important changes, and various spirits are used as guides to show him what he has missed and to teach him about himself. So today, let's reverse those roles somewhat and imagine a similar kind of tour through life and the world in which a guide, let's call him Guy, takes us through life and the world and shows us what we might have missed and teaches us about the Holy Spirit. Your tour begins when, when Guy says, I have come to show you the Holy Spirit. And you say, how's that going to work? If he is spirit, there won't be anything to see. And he answers, Jesus compared the spirit to the wind when he spoke with Nicodemus. We don't see wind, but we know it by what we see the wind doing. The same is true of the Holy Spirit. We can know Him by what we see Him doing. And so Guy then takes you to a high tower where you can watch all kinds of people going about their lives. He shows you unbelievers of all sorts, Muslims, Mormons, materialists, Scientologists, Sikhs, skeptics, atheists and idolaters, Hindus and hedonists. And they appear to you as, as ants scurrying around in confusion when, when raindrops fall among them. They are all headed someplace, but there is no design or purpose. In the end, clearly, it's all pointless. And where they end up, they really don't want to be. In contrast, he then shows you the life of a Christian that you know. As you observe her living her life from infancy to adulthood, you are able to see what is not apparent to her. Despite what seem to be major twists and turns and confusing dead ends, the path of her life is actually a straight line leading her toward Christ at the points when she seemed to be veering from the path or in danger of being drawn away from it. An unseen force pulls her back and sets her straight again, often with her not even being aware of it happening, and other times with her aware and offering deep praise and thanks to God for looking out for her. Guy turns to tell you that was the Holy Spirit at work leading her through life to her home in heaven. But not everyone who calls himself a Christian is led that way. You then find yourself at the back of a classroom in a modern seminary. The professor, famous for the books he has published explaining what the Bible really says, is saying to his students, you can be thankful that that we know so much more than our grandparents did. They used to just take it on faith that everything they read in the Old and New Testaments was fact, but we're smarter than that now. Some of what we read there, like with any good any book, is good and true and worth holding on to, but most of it is just useful fiction that makes a point. So you don't have to stretch your mind or set your reason aside to be a Christian. Forget about the miracles. Don't worry about prophecy. Don't get yourself worked up over any old-fashioned rules for living that don't fit our culture and experience. And certainly, certainly don't trouble yourself about sin or salvation or any of that kind of stuff. Just live your lives as best you can and teach others to do the same. That's what we mean now when we say that we're Christians and that Jesus is our Lord. Guy then turns to you and asks, Who is leading that professor? And where? You shrug your shoulders, not, not knowing how to answer. And he continues, he speaks the words, Jesus is Lord. But with his blasphemy and open unbelief, he is actually cursing Christ. Because by rejecting the Scriptures as he does, he is calling the Son of God a liar. There is a Spirit at work here, but it is not the Holy Spirit. But this is, he says, as suddenly you find yourself in a dimly lit room. As your eyes adjust, you hear sniffling, as though someone has just finished crying or is trying not to weep. You are surprised to realize that that there is a man there leaning on the couch with his knees on the floor and, and his eyes facing toward the ceiling, and that it is an old friend of yours from high school. You're surprised not just to to recognize him, but because he had always been the type to criticize weakness and emotion in other people. He's not speaking out loud, but somehow Guy allows you to listen in on your old friend's thoughts. And you hear, Lord, Lord, I see it now. I give up. I will be weak because being strong just doesn't work. I need you to be strong for me. I know now I am a sinner and that all my arguments against you and Christianity were just foolish excuses to let me avoid the truth. But I am not uniquely wise or righteous. I am a wretched sinner just like everybody else. And I repent to you of my sins. And I repent to you of my arrogance in thinking that I could go to heaven on my own. Take away my sins now, O Lord, for Jesus' sake. I trust in Him and His cross and His empty tomb. I, I used to laugh when my friends told me to believe, but now I do. Let me be yours forever. Cleanse me and make me your child. I know you want that. I read it in the Bible and you always keep your word. Forgive me, Lord, and fix me. I'm tired of being who I was. For Christ's sake, make me better. Make me new. Make me like Jesus. Make Him my Lord. All this time you have felt kind of guilty for listening in to that most private and soul-bearing of conversations. But you were compelled. You saw the incredible difference between the before and the after of your old friend. And Guy knows what you are thinking and says, yes, that is the Holy Spirit at work. Then he takes you away again to the back of a small and simple church on a Sunday morning. You observe all sorts of people make their way inside the building into to their seats, families and singles, rich and poor, young and old, dark-skinned, light-skinned, blue-eyed, brown-eyed, short and tall, skinny and stout, and out of the rich diversity of their backgrounds and with a multiplicity of problems in their individual lives, They are led to hear the Word of God, and they believe it. They receive Christ's gifts in the sacrament, and they rejoice to do so. They offer their thanks and their praise to the Lord, and and when the service is done, they are eager already to return again the next week. As they leave the church, they share God's peace with their brothers and their sisters, and they seek to serve them with their prayers. They go their separate ways, stronger for having been nourished with the gospel and brighter with the light of Christ that they reflect to the world. You heard them, Guy says to you. Their words confessed the faith in their hearts just as their lives do. They spoke and they sang and they affirmed that Jesus is Lord, not just Lord of the world, but of their hearts, minds, lives, and souls. This is the Spirit at work. The guy seems to have pushed some sort of fast-forward button. And you observe what happens at the church after worship is over. Three women take charge of of cleaning up and putting things away after fellowship time is over. You, You realize that no one asked them to. They just did it with smiles on their faces, happy to serve. Later in the week, a married couple arrives goes to the janitor's closet, takes out supplies and begins to clean. You get the distinct impression that they get a particular joy from making the bathrooms shine and the carpets and floors look like new. The pastor flits in and out of the picture, studying in his office, making and answering phone calls, teaching classes, practicing a sermon. Men, Both young and old come on a weeknight to to do the work of leading the church, and some of them are back on other days for other meetings to do repairs and to participate in Bible class. On Saturday morning, a group gathers at the church and then goes out into the neighborhood with literature from the congregation, inviting people to worship and to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Soon you have left the church and, and are instead given brief looks in on the lives of those church members. One you see in the break room at her job, comforting a crying co-worker and saying, I'll pray for you. I care and Jesus cares. You can count on that. Another member calls her husband, asking him to go ahead and feed the kids dinner because a patient at the hospital just had an emergency and Her skills and love are needed there for another hour or two. That same husband, at the end of dinner with his children, opens his Bible and reads to them from it, asking questions and teaching them what it says, then then praying for their needs and for their mother, that she might be a blessing to all she cares for. And then later that same father explains to his teenage daughter, what exactly it was that was wrong with the things that her friend said about what the Bible really means and what being a Christian all about. Then you observe a, a 30-ish young woman from the church at a restaurant tearfully telling a man across the table, No, I'm sorry. I just will not do that no matter how I feel about you. That's not me. I am a Christian. You say that if I don't change what I'm about that I'm never going to find a husband or have a family. I'm willing to risk that considering that Jesus risked everything for me. But I also trust him to work out everything for my good. I have him. I have faith. If if I give that up for what you say you'll give me, I will have nothing that matters. I'm sorry. You turn to Guy now and ask him, what does what I have just seen have to do with anything? These are all different people doing different things. And he says, and all those things are the Spirit at work. He gives different gifts to different people just as different people have different lives and situations Some gifts everyone sees because they serve the church publicly. Some gifts hardly anyone recognizes. Some are all about helping. Some are all about trusting. Some are all about knowing and teaching and leading. But it is the same Spirit working in all of them. For the good of each believer and the good of all the church, this, this is the Holy Spirit at work to create God's people, for God's people, and in God's people. Now, do you see? Whether your guide is Guy or the Apostle Paul, the Spirit does not want any of us to be uninformed. He wants us to know Him and to know what He does and to trust it all because it is ultimately all about trusting Christ and finding salvation in Him and finding a home in heaven. We don't need to see spectacles or experience extraordinary things in order to see the Spirit. We know Him through the ordinary miracles of faith that He creates and that He nurtures. We experience Him through His work, through the gospel and in the means of grace. And we know His power and His love through the many gifts He gives us. We call Jesus our Lord and Savior because of the Spirit, and we rejoice to observe Him at work in our hearts and in our lives and in the church that He has placed us in to love and serve as He calls and equips us. See the Spirit and praise the Lord. Amen. Please rise, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.